Joining us down the line to talk all about the first test between the Aussies and Pakistan is the co-host of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast, Paul Dennett. Paul, welcome to the program. Thanks, Matt. How are you going? Uh, great, uh, as always, Paul. Uh, how about you? The uh, first session, what did you make of it? Well, that was a big wicket towards the end because the first session was very much Pakistan's. It was a great toss to win. Um, and it's one of those pitches that you sometimes get in uh, that part of the world, although you know, it's been a long time since we've been there, but where there wasn't a, a great deal of life. There was a little bit of spin on offer. Nathan Lyon uh, got some spin and some bounce early on. And uh, you're right, it looked like a bad shot that Shafiq played to get out. He just came down the wicket and really had a bit of a, um, a wild slog at one. Pat Cummins took a good catch. But in his defence, um, both he and um, Imam Al-Haq kind of attacked Nathan Lyon early on. And it probably uh, was a pretty good strategic move because his first couple of overs, it looked like he could get a wicket at any ball. And it, it, to, to show you the extent of how much it was spinning early on, they brought Travis Head on. Um, which was not something you expect to see in the first morning of a test match. So the fact that they they played some aggressive shots to Nathan Lyon then caused the Australians to sort of revert to the spin to the to the quicks. So yeah, he did get the wicket in the end. Um, and as I said, it was it was much needed and, and a good toss to win. It looks at this early stage. What did you make of the Australian eleven selection? Uh, the Aussies going with pace. Did you agree with the decision? I think it's not. It's a difficult one given the um, uncertainty with regards to the pitch, but it didn't look um, as though it was going to be one where you need an enormous number of quicks. And I just think that with Cameron Green in the side, that's where I might have um, changed up the balance a little bit. Mm. That Cameron Green didn't bowl a ball in that first session, and in many ways he was just about our best bowler in the Ashes. He could be quite handy on this surface. So if it had been up to me, I would have been saying, Maybe we, maybe I would have um, omitted Mitchell Stark and brought in someone like Ashton Agar um, just because of because of that. But um, having said that, I do think that the Australians have all actually bowled quite well, and that there wasn't a great deal on offer, but they um, they really didn't give the Pakistanis much either. Um, it's the sort of pitch that makes you yearn for just another. Um, six inches of bounce. If that had been the case, then I think it would have been a, a really spectacular contest because I think both sides played well, but because the pitch is a, you know, a little bit on the lifeless side at this stage, it sort of took a little bit of the, um, the sparkle out of the, the bat and ball battle. Okay, so how do, you, how do you think the rest of the day will play out um, here in the first test? Well, the best thing is going to be is that the crowd is going to pour in. Um, the, the match is sold out all five days, but the first session opened to probably only about a fifth full, but uh, it's Friday prayers. And so the first session was actually two and a half hours. They're going to have an hour's break for lunch. And I've seen this before in the UAE where there's no one there. Well, the, the crowd has built a little bit, but I expect that um, after this one-hour lunch break, we'll come back and the crowd will be pretty much chock-a-block full and the atmosphere will be intense. They're already blowing the Vuvuzelas. Um, uh, reminds me of the South Africa World Cup in 2010. Um <laughs> quite intense so when they're when it's completely full um the atmosphere will be superb uh look i think that the orthodox view is that it's going to be difficult for australia to prize these wickets out that they're going to have to continue to bowl well but pakistan has a pretty handy middle order and um, they've got um barbara azam azar ali and Fawad Awan, the three of them um, and, and also mohammed rizwan the next one to come in that are 
four very, very fine players. So for Australia to uh, make some inroads, it's going to take something pretty special. They're certainly capable of it because I said they are bowling well. But I think if you had to put money on it, you'd say that um, it could be a long day in the field for Australia <laughs> today and, and possibly tomorrow as well. What about the rest of the series? Uh, are Australia too underdone heading into this, this series in Pakistan? Well, probably, but I think that's just the modern cricket and the, the fact yeah. that you throw COVID into the mix as well. Um, if they were going to sort of um, give this series the, um, the real attention that it might deserve, they would have had to be over there weeks weeks ago playing warm-up games. You just can't do it. I mean, that, that that's just going to be asking far too much of the players who are already playing so much. So, um, as I said, I, I think the Australians look pretty good uh, you know, on a pitch that wasn't giving them a, a great deal. So, um, you know, compared to yesteryear, yes, they're under, underdone, but I think that these, these modern players, they handle it a lot better. Well, it's a pretty significant series, really, isn't it, Paul? Uh, first overseas test for the Aussies in 905 days. It's the first tour of Pakistan since 1998. Um, so pretty historic here, but um, we're not getting it on free-to-air TV, which is quite disappointing. It's disappointing, but not unexpected. You know, we, um, we've never had a Pakistan series on free-to-air, and really, apart from the Ashes... Um, We've had precious few series on um, away series on free to air ever. Uh, so um, you know, if it was up to me, this would be live on um, on Channel Nine right now. Um, but uh, that's kind of um, not the way it works. And I, I encourage anyone who, who does uh, have a pay TV subscription. I think you can uh, you can sign up to Ko for a couple of weeks for free. Not that I get any credit for that, but um, it is a landmark series. The the grounds are going to be full. And as far as the the people of Pakistan are concerned. I think that maybe Australians don't realise what a big moment this is for them, that um, the, the level of pleasure and just genuine delight uh, amongst all of the fans that I've seen um, on social media and elsewhere, it's, it's quite humbling as an Australian to realise that a sporting team from, from our country going over there is really a massive, massive story. So um, it, it's quite something to behold, and you are, are sort of watching history unfold. We're speaking with the co-host of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast, Paul Dennett, here on Sports Drive this afternoon. Uh, Paul, I was very saddened to wake up and hear about the passing of the great Rod Rod Marsh this morning. We send our thoughts, our condolences to Rod's family and friends. Uh, Now, Paul, he may have played, I'm guessing, slightly before your time uh, watching cricket, but being a cricket historian yourself, I'm sure you've seen many highlights, read many stories, heard many things about the great man. So what are some of your memories of Rod Marsh? Well, actually, my earliest memories of cricket do coincide with his final season. So I've just got that um, uh, at the edge of my memory. And I think whenever you've got a player of that era, when you first remember uh, the sport that you end up loving, it, that the players from that era all seem 10 feet tall in my, in my memory. So that last summer of 1983-84, he retired uh, in the same test match as Dennis Lilly and Greg Chappell. Uh, and so it was just always special seeing him play. And every time I see highlights, I sort of uh, gravitate towards them. But moving back to, to the start of his career, I think that it's a long time ago now, but we, we forget what an impact he had on cricket in this country because he, he began his career in 1970. The 1960s were a pretty poor decade for the popularity of cricket. It was lo- slow, boring um, matches. And then... Ian Chappell, Doug Walters in the sort of mid-60s came on board. And then, as I said, Chappell, Marsh, and Greg Chappell, Marsh, and Lily. And they brought cricket sort of swaggering into the 1970s. You know, they were um, 
they were hairy, they had their jewellery on, they were kind of um, not wearing the nice clean-cut suits of the 60s, they were wearing that, you know, those 1970s fashion. And most of all, they played attractive cricket, and especially Rod Marsh, that, um, you know, he would dive um, energetically to take catches, and then he'd come out and, and really give the ball a thump. And I was just, I, I, before I came on, I searched this because I knew it existed and finally found it on YouTube. There was a, a one-day game in the early 80s against New Zealand where Australia got to 191 after 49 overs, which these days would be appalling, but that was kind of the, the way it was done then. And, and on highlights, Richie Benno said, I wonder if Australia can get to 200. Rod Marsh hit 26 runs off the next five balls, um, and Australia finished with 217. And he just, he was kind of playing modern-day cricket um, in an era that was, preceding that so and above all as well that people would look at him and think he's going out there giving the ball a decent whack but he seems like a lovely guy and he's not necessarily the most athletically built guy that he looks like a a person that you could have a beer with and enjoy so he had that sort of every man appeal and as i said um cricket had really started to get into the doldrums it's no coincidence that seven years later Kerry packer was willing to sort of um do anything he could to get cricket on television because the popularity of the sport had resurged so much, and Rod Marsh um, deserves significant credit for that. Yeah, a ferocious competitor, a record breaker, and he really changed the way we look at wicket keepers, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, he was um, uh, one of the first Australian wicket keepers to be more of a, a batter than a keeper. Um, that caused some controversy when he was first picked because Brian Tabor, who was the um, the incumbent, was kind of regarded as a better uh, gloveman. But they brought Marsh in. Uh, he dropped uh, a couple of catches early on, was nicknamed um, Iron Gloves because of that. And then I think he took great delight when he wrote his autobiography in calling it the Gloves of Irony um, because mm-hmm. once he got over that first ones, he was um, absolutely uh, a fantastic gloveman. But, yeah, um, played some really important innings uh, with the bat. Almost got a century uh, in one of his first test matches. He was famously 92 not out and Bill Laurie declared... <laughs> which I think that um, everyone was very impressed that Marsh just handled it very well because he took it in, you know, he knew that that was the right thing to do for the team. And one of his most important innings was in the centenary test match in 1977. It was, um, both sides got rolled for about 100 in the first innings and Australia was probably looking like they weren't going to go so well in the second innings either. And then Marsh came out, got a century, and Australia ultimately won a, a famous match. So, yeah, he was... Um, uh, I've read today that he was kind of the, the first of those modern keepers and the generation of Gilchrist and others then followed. Yeah, uh, we uh, again, we send our best wishes, our condolences uh, and our thoughts to Rod's family and friends. Uh, Paul, a big thanks to you for joining me here on the program this afternoon. Uh, enjoy the, uh, the next session coming up. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, mate. Thank you. There he goes, Paul Dennett, the co-host of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I thank him for his time here on the program this afternoon.